0: The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ is in our midst. midst. Though I should change that typical greeting for Christ is risen. Christ is risen. I had the good fortune and pleasure to be um, visiting friends in Colorado last Sunday. I'm glad to be back. Um, I was at St. Spiridon's Church in Loveland, Colorado. And Father Evan preached a very simple and profound sermon. And the theme stuck with me, and I said, I want to use that. And the theme was simple. Christ is risen. And all is well. Christ is risen. And all will be well. This is our season of focusing on the resurrection of Christ. Indeed, every Sunday, we focus on the resurrection of Christ. We celebrate a mini Pascha. But we celebrate the resurrection as full as we possibly can, for the resurrection has changed everything. I've heard people say things like, I like your church, but you kind of put Jesus up on a pedestal. You're not really getting it because the resurrection of christ is the thing it changes absolutely everything and because christ is risen all is well and all will be well now it's interesting that this gospel does not seem to have much to do at first glance with the resurrection in fact it really doesn't Except that in the beginning, that we don't actually read it in the reading. It says that Jesus is going up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. And it is in that time between the Passover and Pentecost that Jesus went up. And it is because this actually occurs during the time that we're currently in, the church has placed it here. Now, this gospel has many symbols. The, the five porches or the five uh, pillars holding up the dome that covered the um, pool are, are symbols of, according to Blessed Theophilos, of the five cardinal—sorry, vir- the four cardinal virtues plus one: courage, prudence, righteousness, self-control, and the fourth is the contempl- or the fifth rather is the contemplation of the truth. The waters being troubled are a symbol, a prefigurement of baptism. It's rather an odd event. We don't see anything like it in Scripture that I know of. That an angel would come down from time to time and stir up the waters, and whoever got into it would be healed. It's rather an odd story, but it prefigures baptism. Baptism is. The waters that heal not just the first, but all who enter in. And not just the body, but the soul to eternal life. Now, while it would be tempting to focus on any of those symbols and expand upon those, what drew my heart and my attention was the man. The man whom we call the paralytic. I'd like to focus for a minute upon him. Thirty-eight years he'd been lying by the pool. Thirty-eight years. The commentaries and the fathers say that this showed that he had an astounding perseverance. By his short dialogue with Christ, we see no despair. We see no bitterness. Jesus' encounter reveals his patience and his steadfast endurance say the fathers. 38 years, and he's lying there. Now, it says in the gospel today that there are many invalids and many people who are trying to wait for the healing of those waters. But Jesus quietly comes to this one man. Now, at this point, it's fairly early in his ministry. He's only done two miracles recorded in scripture. He's turned water into wine, and he's healed the Jewish official's daughter. But those were fairly quiet affairs away. Now he's in Jerusalem for this feast and he comes up to this one man and he says do you want to be healed? Now a man suffering for 38 years, lying in the same place all of the time you might expect him to be bitter and say something like of course I want to be healed why do you think I'm here? Why are all of us here? We're waiting for the water to be stirred. But he didn't say that. He didn't show any bitterness. What he shows is his humility. He says, yes, Lord, but I have no one to help me into the waters. I have no one to help me. Now in many, maybe most, of Jesus' miracles of healing, he says to the person, your faith has made you well. It is your faith that has healed you. Go in peace. Your faith has healed you. But in this case, he doesn't say anything about that. He says to the man, take up your pallet and walk. And the man obediently takes up his pallet and walk. He doesn't say, are you crazy? I'm paralyzed. Can't you see that? He just takes up in humility He obeys Christ, who he doesn't know who he is. There is no big word and throng waiting for him to do miracles. Clearly, this man had faith in God. What could keep a man patiently waiting for so long for healing, enduring whatever it took? He clearly had his hope and faith in God. And Christ, seeing his faith, comes and heals him and just tells him what to do next. Take up your pallet and walk. Now what is interesting in the rest of the gospel, Jesus kind of goes away into the crowd and the man doesn't actually know who healed him. He obeyed him. He took up his pallet and he went home. And the Jews saw that he had picked up his pallet and that was, it was on the Sabbath. And as we know, Christ healed on the sabbath because he is the lord of the sabbath and also to challenge the legalism of the jews and the men asked him who told you to pick up your pallet and go home he says the man who healed me told me to take up my pallet and walk and what do they say to him they don't say to him who healed you that's amazing they say Who told you to break the law on a Sabbath? So often, like the Pharisees, we focus on the wrong things. But I think that would be another sermon. Forgive me. I want to focus on this suffering man. Now this gospel gives us the chance to ponder our own suffering. In the great litany, we pray for the sick, the suffering, and the captives. Do any of you include yourself in the suffering category? Most likely not. We can compare our suffering to the suffering of this man, and we would say, most of us, our suffering is nothing compared to that. Most of us would say, well, we don't really suffer at all. We're not really praying for ourselves we say we're praying for the suffering truly, our relatively affluent and rich lifestyles can protect us from much suffering that goes on in the world. Though we see much suffering in the world, it seems so little of it comes to touch us. And yet, even the sufferings we do experience, we want to hide. We want to deny those sufferings. We want to distract ourselves from them. We don't want to acknowledge that these are actually sufferings. Suffering is a vulnerability. Suffering is weakness. And weakness is weak in our society. Weakness is not a virtue. It is a liability. And truthfully, suffering is to be endured. And it is to be got through. When we do acknowledge our suffering, we generally want it gone. We want it cured. I have a bad shoulder. I want it fixed. So I go to the physical therapist. And the physical therapist doesn't fix it. She gives me exercises. And I try to do those exercises. But I want it fixed. So I'm very tempted week after week as I go to the physical therapist to just go visit the surgeon. I want to be healed and I want to be healed now. I don't see any value in the suffering of my physical therapy. Suffering is generally considered a bad thing; we seek to avoid it, and rightly so. Now, forgive me. I, I, with that example, you can tell I probably know very little about true suffering. Some of us are truly suffering. Some of us, physically, emotionally, mentally or spiritually, are engaged in much suffering, That's some of us. Many of us suffer from anxiety, fear, worry, either once in a while or, or all the time. And yet we don't consider these things to be things that we suffer, necessarily. When we do acknowledge our suffering, we rightly pray to have them taken away from us. We rightly pray to be healed. We get anointed with oil. We get anointed with holy unction. And we have people pray for us so that we can be healed. Generally, the sooner the better. But do we, like the man at the pool, patiently suffer? Do we wait for the Lord in faith? Or do we deny, do we distract, and do we try to get by Without any thought? Or do we let it make us bitter, angry, grumbling, grumpy? Now, what I'm going to say next is radical, as radical as the resurrection. Christ is risen. This is a radical thing to say. Christ is risen and all is well for all who are suffering of any kind and all of us are suffering some to some degree with something. All will be well. Forgive me. It might be worth backing up. When I said some of us suffer terribly through various illnesses and many of us suffer anxiety, worry, I forgot to mention that all of us are suffering. And what are we suffering? We're suffering on a day-to-day basis the effects of our passions, the effects of our sins. And this process of patiently enduring our sufferings, these kind of sufferings, is called a repentance. To repent is to engage with those things that we suffer. And I mentioned that Christ is risen is a radical statement because the resurrection changes everything. It changes the way we approach life. It changes the way we Christians approach death. And it should change the way we approach suffering. If there is no resurrection, Jesus was a good man, a good teacher, who suffered a horrible, meaningless death. If there is no resurrection, then death is the end. It's just death. It's nothing. It's darkness. If there is no resurrection, then God, if he is God, is not good and life is just life. But, in the light of the resurrection, which transforms everything, Christ's suffering on the cross is transformed for us into a revelation of his perfect Love. He tramples down death, destroys our final enemy. Death itself is transformed. All things are transformed in the resurrection. I discovered a beautiful book this last week when I was in Colorado. I didn't steal it. I I found it in our bookstore when I got back. I was tempted. It's called Strength in Weakness and it's by Bishop Irini of London and Western Europe. I could read the introduction. This small text is written in the hope that its few words might provide comfort and encouragement to those who are suffering. It does not matter if your suffering is physical or mental, momentary or seemingly endless. Suffering is suffering. And those who suffer, all of us, if we are honest, must know the hope that God offers, which can change sorrow into joy. The Christian vision of suffering is one of transformation. And this is the great hope which it offers to the world. I highly recommend this book. I love small books. And this one is much fuller than you would expect by its size of wisdom and guidance for us in our suffering. Suffering is one of transformation. All of our suffering is given to us for our transformation. St. Paul tells us in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians a story. Now we know St. Paul had great visions. He was carried up to I don't know, levels of heaven and had incredible visions. He went off for 13 years into the desert and was taught the entire gospel by who? by Christ himself, even before he went up to the apostles. His teaching is lofty. His teaching sets the foundation of much of what we believe in the church. And yet, here's what he says. And to keep me from being too elated by the abundance of revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I besought the Lord about this, that it should leave me, But it didn't. God didn't heal him. Instead, the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And he says to all of us, in the midst of all of our suffering, and if we take time to think of our sufferings, we can see that Christ is there with his grace. And his grace is sufficient for us. His power is made perfect in weakness. It is in our weakness and our brokenness that we encounter Christ. He does not come to us in our own self-assured strength. But it is in our weakness, it is in our brokenness, that Christ comes to meet us and he comes to heal us and he comes to take our suffering away in his time as it accomplishes its transformation in us. We can be assured that any suffering in our lives is allowed by God. That if we respond in faith, it will produce in us humility and patience and many other things that will make us more like Christ. In the epistle of James, it says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. When you encounter various sufferings, For you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It produces endurance. And let perseverance and endurance have its full effect, that you would be made perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. This tells us the purpose of our trials, the purpose of our suffering, is to make us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing in Christ. Our Lord, our loving Lord, permits us to experience whatever will lead us to the greatest faith, the greatest humility, the greatest thankfulness, the greatest love, the greatest peace, and ultimately the greatest gift of our salvation. But good times and easy life does not accomplish these things. It is through... The suffering of a normal life that we experience Christ. Jesus told us towards the end of his life when he was sharing with his apostles, he says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, in the world you will have suffering, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He did not say, I will take away your suffering. He said, I will overcome it. I will overcome the world. Through his suffering and his death on the cross and the power of his resurrection, he has trampled down death by death and he has transformed death and all of our lives and all of our sufferings. He has transformed them to be a means of eternal communion and oneness with our suffering Savior, who even now we call our suffering Savior, who suffers with us in the midst of all of our sufferings. This is an encouragement for us to embrace our suffering. St. Paul says again in 2 Corinthians, Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. We fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. What is, tempor- what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. He calls our light and momentary troubles as nothing compared to the glory that we will experience in his resurrection and in our resurrection because the resurrection changes all. My brothers and sisters, some of us are likely suffering greatly and it's seemingly impossible to bear and we don't know what to do. I do not wish to make light of your suffering, but I wish to encourage you that Christ hears you and he will console you and heal you In his own time. Healed or not, Christ is with you in the midst of your suffering. He is suffering with you, and if we turn to him in faith, he will give us everything we need to endure, like the man at the pool, the paralytic, to endure. Now I'll end with another quote from 2 Corinthians. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ my brothers and sisters in Christ, the resurrection of Christ changes everything. And in this last quote that I read, even our suffering can be a source of hope and consolation not only to us, but to those around us. Because the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our suffering, who is present with us in our suffering, will give us the grace to comfort those That we might help bear the burden of those who are suffering alongside of us. Christ is risen.